Today is Friday, September 22nd, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A Washington Post reporter goes viral after being called out in spectacular fashion for planning a hit piece. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe, give us a rating. You can email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me now to get through the news of the Craig, Billy Hallowell, Trey Gons, Phillips. Gentlemen, it's Friday. How's it going? I'm excited. We've made it through another week. <laughs> another week of craziness, and here we are. We've all done it together. Yes. Congratulations to us all. I hope everyone has a great weekend. A lot coming up on the pod. As I mentioned, incredible example, a rare window, guys, into media bias and how it works. And how it all unfolded is incredible. We'll have the details on that. Also, coming up on the focus story, guys, what are we talking about? Yeah, we're going to talk about Max Licato, obviously a really well-known Christian writer, minister, uh, and his past struggle with alcohol is something he hasn't talked about before, so Mm. we'll get into the details there. It's a really encouraging story. All right. Looking forward to the details there. Also, we're going to get into on the main thing... A spontaneous mass baptism happened at Auburn. Abigail Robertson has the details there. Really cool stuff. You, know, you hear a lot about faith and decline and everything else, but then you also see these stories, these revivals happening, and things like mass baptisms at a college kind of counteracts that narrative. So looking forward to the details on all of those stories and more. But first here, we're going to get through the news in 90 seconds. Open Doors U.S., they teamed up with the Evangelical Humanitarian Agency World Relief. They got out their latest edition of Closed Doors. This is a report they do. And they're claiming now that one out of every seven Christians worldwide is subject to high levels of persecution and discrimination. That part's not necessarily so surprising, but here's what is. The number of Christian refugees admitted into the U.S., from the 50 countries on Open Doors watch list, it's at near lowest level in a decade. The report states that recent shifts in U.S. policy reveal that America is no longer the safe haven for displaced persons that it once was. A lot of reasons for that. One of them is because of drastic changes to our asylum policies because of the massive numbers of immigrants coming to the border. That's having an impact on Christians being able to flee persecution around the globe and come here to America. And Barstool sports boss Dave Portnoy provided a rare behind-the-scenes look at just why so many people don't trust the mainstream media. A Washington Post reporter named Emily Heil was emailing sponsors of his event. Portnoy sensed a hit piece and he called her out and it led to a 10-minute video that showed what she was really planning. And it's really, I wanted to get into this, guys. And you can check out more stories over at cbnnews.com, all today's top headlines. I wanted to just talk about this because it really did provide what a lot of us in the industry know and have seen. But the, the people just reading, they don't necessarily see it as clear as this. And I'll just quick give you the summary of what happened. I'll let you guys react. Basically, he's planning this event. The Washington Post then decides they want to email the sponsors of this event. They don't email Portnoy first to try to get comment. They email him and they use 
basically of what she later admitted was a scare tactic. Hey, you're going to be with this racist, you know, misogynistic guy and you're going to be associated with him. Do you really want to do that? Please comment. So Portnoy calls her out on this in a cold call and he starts explaining, hey, I'm Dave Portnoy and you're writing about me. Why'd you write this? And she says, I didn't write anything like that. And he goes, oh, you didn't? And then he reads the exact email that she sent. It's unbelievable. And here's the email she says she wrote to one of Portnoy's sponsors. Portnoy, by the way, he's the CEO of Barstool Sports, if you haven't seen him. He's, he's a firebrand. I mean, he is a controversial guy. But in this particular instance, it was I just thought it was interesting what this revealed. Here's the email she sent to uh, his sponsor of his event. We're planning to write about the festival and how some of the sponsors and participants have drawn criticism by seeming to associate themselves with Dave Portnoy who has a history of misogynistic comments and other problematic behavior. He calls her out on this. And at first she goes, I didn't write anything like that. And then he reads it and she's like, well, I, that one time I did that. And he basically says, how come you didn't write to them and say, and this is the part I love. And she never had an answer for this. And she squirmed the whole 10 minutes on the call. He says, how come you didn't start with, you're associating with Dave Portnoy the guy who helped raise $50 million for small businesses during COVID. How come he didn't lead with that? And she had no answer for that. The answer is because there's a bias and they want to report negatively on certain people. And this just made it to me guys clear as day. Yeah. Well, I, I also think that journalists today, there's two things going on. The first is that they think they're shock jocks. Like they're constantly, yeah. some of these people are trying to to go viral on Twitter. It seems like more than they are trying to break actual real news. <laughs> right. And I mean, I won't name any of them, uh, but there are some of them out there. And one of them works at the very outlet that we're talking about. And then you have, you know, <laughs> you've, you've got this other dynamic is, is that a lot of these people are brought up in and they're educated with this idea that they are, you know, unopinionated people, that they are truly unbiased people. And when you have a bias, whether it's a conservative or a liberal bias, and we often see a progressive bias in the media, and you're told you don't have one, and everyone around you lives in a big city and thinks the way you do, you walk around thinking you're a moderate when you're actually not. And so yeah. that's why you lead that way, because you think that's actually the middle ground, which is actually, it's really scary. And again, unfortunate because it erodes the trust that people need to have in the media when something truly mm -hmm. big and important happens. I also think something interesting whenever these things come up is it's often uh, these allegations or accusations or um, characterizations of people are often come from journalists who are on the left or media personalities who are on the left who also claim that there are are no moral absolute truths. Uh, but then she is comfortable to say, he has problematic behavior, like problematic behavior by what standard? Right. I thought there was no absolute truth. I thought it was my truth and your truth, but you're saying that he has problematic behavior. So I, it, it just is another example, I think, of, of one proving bias, yes, but also there is an absolute truth. The line, the, the issue is just where is that line? What is the absolute truth? Stop saying you don't believe in some sort of absolute truth. You absolutely yeah. do. It's just one either that you make up or one that God created. Yeah. And, and this just drives me nuts, though, because there are organizations that like Media Matters for America, which is was made by Hillary Clinton and others helped found this thing. And it's a it's a left wing think tank organization, media watchdog, whatever. And it, so what they do is they sit there and they take out of context clips of all of these conservative commentators. And then the media people like this in The Washington Post 
can then say, well, you have a history of uh, misogynistic comments. Here they all are. And it's on, they just cite media matters. And it's these out of context quotes. That's all opinion. That's all spin. And to Dave's point, like, well, why don't you lead with the good stuff? And, um, you know, that yeah. used to be, you know, our old joke when I, back in the days when I worked at the Blaze with Glenn Beck, our old joke was that Media Matters approved of 99.9% .9 of the things Glenn said on the air because they'd only have one little snippet that they'd complain about. Well, they must have loved everything else. And so I wanted to get your guys' response on this. The, the, her, basically what she settled in on, this was Emily Heil, by the way, from the Washington Post. She said, well, because he kept pressing her on this point. Like, why'd you lead with that? Why'd you lead with that? Why couldn't you have said something nice or something neutral? And I mean, she is making an assertion on that. She's making a truth claim that he is X, Y, and Z. And she ended up landing on, well, it's a tactic to get a response from somebody that I really wanted to get a response from. What do you guys think of that? Uh, yeah, that's not leading with truth. That's being a shock jock again, you know, to me, and I haven't watched this conversation unfold. If your goal is to shock somebody into a response, you are not playing the role of journalists. You're playing the role of Howard Stern. That is not your job. Yeah. Your job is to go out and get responses and to be unbiased in how you do it. And I think that is, yeah, there are certain times where a truth is a truth, but nine times out of 10 in these circumstances, you just see that the person doesn't like or agree, the journalist with whoever they're covering, and they're looking for a way to disparage them. We cover it weekly on this show, and we, we've seen this go on for years. What is shocking, though, is how overt these instances seem to be now. They used to be a little more under the radar. They're, they're now just openly happening, it feels like. Yeah, I'd, I don't know why anybody you'd, – you'd have to live under an enormous boulder to not, <laughs> to, to not understand why people have questions about media bias, particularly people in the – like I remember after the 2016 election, CNN, back when Brian Stelter was still there, they were going to go and do this whole like, uh, we're really just going to be reflective and figure out what it was that, that went wrong, why people don't trust us. And then we had Jim Acosta doing all of these press conferences <laughs> right. that were Donald Trump's press conferences, but Jim Acosta was absolutely the star of the show. Right. performance um, art. So, yeah, exactly. So I, it, it's, it's a wonder to me why – people in the media would not understand why no one trusts them. Yeah. It was terrible acting though. I have to say <laughs> not Indeed. a best performance. Well, you're right. And, um, I, I want to move on now because we're running low on time here, but I, I just wanted to bring that up because I felt like it's such a good window into what a lot of us know. We know there's bias, but when you actually hear it kind of play out like that, it's stunning to hear the quiet part out loud. And yeah. so look, kudos for Portnoy for just, Calling them out and recording it. A big example right there of media bias, but we're going to move on. And we're going to head to the focus story now. And Max Licato is opening up about his new book in about also his serious struggle that he dealt with. So what uh, was he talking about here? Yeah, so uh, we said at the top that alcohol was a, a big struggle of his. And I think it's it's so sad that it's that this was something that he dealt with, but also I think it's, it's indicative of, of where our culture is, right? He was in his 50s. He was at the top of his game. He was one of America's most famous pastors and authors, so there was a lot of pressure on him, and he's opening up about this past struggle in his new book. It's called God Never Gives Up on You. Uh, so he said at age 50, he started drinking beer to handle the demands of what he described as, quote, his world gone crazy. He said the staff needed me. The 
pulpit required me. The publisher was counting on me. The entire world was looking at me. So I did what came naturally. I began to drink. Not publicly. I was the guy you see at the convenience store who buys the big can of beer, hides it in a sack, uh, and presses it against his thigh so that no one sees as he hurries out of the door. Uh, He said my store of choice was on the other side of the city. Lest I be seen, I'd sit in the car, pull the can out of the bag, and guzzle the liquid until it took the edge off the sharp demands of the day. Uh, I think it's just interesting that, that this is something that he's opening up about now. He's, he's, well, he's in his late 60s, and he's looking back and saying, look, this is something that I dealt with. Uh, I think the, the, the most encouraging part is how he handled it. He recognized it was an issue uh, fairly early on. He went to the elders at his church. He said, hey, this is something that I'm struggling with. I'm recognizing it becoming a problem. Uh, I'm drinking because I want it to numb the the." difficulties that I'm going through in life. And that's obviously an issue. Uh, And then his, the elders at his church, the board there encouraged him to then go before the congregation. Uh, And he opened up about, about that struggle with the congregation. He stopped drinking, doesn't drink uh, now. Um, And it's just, I I think an encouraging story of somebody who was dealing with a sin issue, dealing with a potential hurdle in his life, recognized it, sought accountability and, and rectified that. Yeah, and it sounds like sunlight's the best disinfectant there and helped him move on from that. How's he changed since all that went down? Yeah, he said he has changed a lot or a lot has changed uh, in his relationship with God since that since that issue and since the way he encountered the Lord going through that. He said, uh, God met me there that day, talking about when he recognized it was an issue. He said he gave me a new name as well. I mean, the new book is talking about Jacob and Jacob obviously wrestling with God and then he was given a new name, Israel. He said, my name was not Israel because that one was already taken. <laughs> uh, he said, but my new name was forgiven. He said, and I'm happy to wear it. Uh, so yeah, just an encouraging story. He has a whole new view or that that experience gave him a whole new perspective of what it means to be redeemed and to be forgiven by the Lord because he knew obviously of of the gospel story, the work of Jesus on the cross and, and all of that, but to know the personal intimate uh, interactions with the Lord and the way that he forgives us, redeems us and and puts us on a straight path as long as we're, we're seeking accountability the way Lakato did uh, in Christian community. Uh, he said that gave him really a deeper understanding of what it actually means to be forgiven and then to walk in that forgiveness. Now, he also in this book, Trey, kind of took a look at Christians and how they see their relationships with God. What did the study show? Yeah, so he did a study before he wrote the book. He and his team, the the publisher, they did a, a survey of 9,877 uh, believers. And I thought this was actually probably one of the most fascinating aspects of this book uh, and also revealing uh, of some some ways that I think uh, Christians, we need to be better about communicating the gospel to people. Uh, so he said uh, of the respondents, 50% said they feel as though they stumbled one too many times for God to use them. Uh, 45% said they feel closer to breakdown than a breakthrough with the Lord. Uh, and 92% said they feel as though they're part of the tilted halo society, which is what he says, you know, people <laughs> who are who, are, who have messed up but are redeemed, as opposed to the people who see themselves as, quote, super saint association uh, members, as those who think they've got it all together, they don't have any problems. Uh, so 92%, I think, is a good, I wonder where the rest are, because I think all 100% of us uh, fall into the the broken and redeemed category. So, uh, And then 48% said that they believe this statement, God helps those who help themselves, uh, which is also... Uh, not necessarily a biblical concept, but it's one we hear all the time. You just brought up in that survey one of the groups, the, the repeated stumblers. 
Yeah. And I think that's an interesting group because I think we've all either been there or we are we know someone who's currently there. It's a weird spot to be in because you're supposed to be changed, right? Like my life, you know, has changed. God has saved me. And then you repeatedly stumble sometimes with the same thing. And you're like, man, what is it? Why why can I not just get over this? Am I really safe? Like I think it can open up a a Pandora's box and really cause some people some struggle. But I don't think that's a group that gets focused on a lot. I definitely agree with that. So I, I think it's it's important to speak to those needs. And I think that's something encouraging about Lakato writing this book and being transparent about his past struggles is because I think it gives kind of a platform for people who are in that category to kind of, oh, yeah. somebody's gone first, somebody's gone ahead of me. So I can, I, I, it's now easier for me to share my story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, we need more people to be vulnerable and open about these things because people are struggling. And, you know, I think, too, it speaks to when, you, when you're a, a well-known or famous pastor, the people around those people need to be present and aware and there because a lot of people might withhold or conceal things because they don't want to be embarrassed, yeah. right? So I think that's just another piece. And, and I think just our pastors in general, not just famous pastors, that we are making sure we're checking in on them and we're there for them um, in the midst of whatever they might be facing. Yeah. Interesting stuff. You know, I'm, I'm all of us have, I'm sure, read Max Licato at some point or another. And I appreciate you putting that one on the radar today, Trey. All right. We are going to head over to the main thing now. And there was a mass baptism event at Auburn. And they're calling it a move of God that was just really remarkable. And CBN's Abigail Robertson has a full report on what happened there and talked to some people involved. You know, we hear these conflicting reports, guys, less people going to church. And what does it mean? But then we see reports of revival. And it reminds us that God is not going anywhere and his will will be accomplished. So this is a great report. And it's today's main thing. Jenny Allen, it is so wonderful to talk to you today. I know I was watching from afar last week as you were posting Instagram updates from this incredible Auburn event where you just saw the Holy Spirit come in and move in mighty ways. So I just want to start there. I just want to start by asking you, what was this event and what happened? Well, it was a dream of a friend of mine named Tanya Pruitt, who wanted to bring together the campus of Auburn. Her husband is an assistant coach there for basketball. And, and she had this dream. And honestly, the dream was six weeks prior to the event happening. So six weeks before she pulls off this stadium event, they tell the campus, we have no idea how many people are coming. She invites me and my friend, Jonathan Pakluda to speak in Passion Band to lead worship. So we show up and I mean, they said, you know what? We could have a few hundred kids. We could have a few thousand. We have no idea how many are coming. And so in my experience, I was like, that, that may not go well. And an hour before the event, we look out and half the stadium is already full. They came early. They were wrapped around the place waiting for the door to open. And so that already, I was just, we were all just so moved that students on a school night would, would lay down whatever they were doing and show up to worship God together. And so the event was really powerful and then yeah, it just kept going after that. <laughs> this is incredible. So did you, I, you know, I know it turned into what ended up being yeah. hundreds of these students being baptized. Was that expected? Was no, there? No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, it was such a move of God. And, you know, I have been a part of moments like that in the past, specifically with Gen Z. And I want to say that because there is something very special happening right now, I believe 
in their hearts. I think they are they are hungry for God and, and they want God in a very real way. This is not manufactured. We saw it at Asbury. We saw it, um, I've seen it before when I've spoken before and kids have been confessing sin for, you know, at, at times an hour, up to an hour publicly. I mean, things like that, that, that don't just happen. And nobody wants to do that. That just is a movement of God. And, and so when I, that night uh, we finished and you could feel the spirit in the room and it was just such a powerful night. And I get off stage and, and next to me, a pastor that had helped lead the night from uh, Highlands Church, he was standing next to me and he, he just was showing me for fun. He was like, look at this, like someone wants to get baptized tonight. And they had reached out to him and he was just going to do it. And I said, well, where should we do that? Where can we do that? And he said, I don't know. I'll talk to my friend who has a pool. And then I said, Patrick, think bigger. <laughs> and, and he said, um, he said, okay, okay. Well, there's, there's a lake down the road. You know, it's, it's pretty far. I mean, it's almost a mile away. And, and I said, well, do you think they would walk? And he said, I don't know. And I, and I said, well, let's try. Is it okay? Can you, can you make sure it'll be okay? And he said, it'll be okay. And so I go up on the stage. It was that fast. And, and I said, hey, there's somebody that wants to get baptized tonight. Would anybody else want to trust Christ and be baptized tonight? And dozens of hands were raised all over the arena. And it was wild. I mean, we, we it was, so they say it was 6,000 students. I don't know how many students it was, but, but they, uh, I mean, at least half of them began to walk down the road and we all gathered around the lake and, and 200, over 200 kids were baptized. We had to finally close the night down. I don't know how long we would have been there. But the stories, you know, we didn't just just baptize them. We got to hear their stories and they got to tell us why they wanted to do this tonight. And and so many of them were just tired of the darkness that they were living in and they wanted Jesus and they wanted a different way to live. And it was so sincere. It was so sincere. You can see it in their eyes, like when they were being bet from the pictures and the videos. I mean, this was this was a moment for them. And it was such an honor, such an honor to watch it happen because it was initiated by them. We didn't think of this. We didn't plan this. Are you kidding me? This girl that texted her pastor to be baptized started this. And it just, it was such an honor to be a part of it. Yeah. So I want to ask you, what's next for these students <laughs> who made the yeah. decision to follow Christ? What happened now? You know, I'm so moved by local churches. Local churches are the reason this happened. The stories that I heard when I got to Auburn that day, were the prayer nights that they were leading and they were packed out um, after and during rush, things like that, that, that aren't happening normally. Like the, the, the parking lots are full at the churches because college students are coming. The local churches were already in place and they were already watching this movement that, that we got to be a part of for one night. And the local churches were there, praise God. The first people to baptize were pastors. We were in the water with several pastors. And so they organized. I mean, we, we had no plan, but they built one quickly. And so there was a line for kids to be baptized and questions were asked of them. Phone numbers were gotten. Uh, Follow-up was, was able to be done because of the organization that they threw together really quickly. And students were helping. It was, it really was, just magic. It looks like chaos, but it wasn't. There was a plan and there were people helping lead it, even though there was, you know, we hadn't planned this in advance. In advance. All right, Abigail, thanks so much for that report. Really appreciate it. Always great to see where God is on the move uh, in, in the midst of, like I said, a, a culture that's reporting so much on the negative. You can check out the full conversation 
We have the link in this podcast episode description below. All right, that's going to leave us with time for one last thing on the podcast. Yeah, this one's a simple verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. Just a reminder to keep our eyes fixed on what matters most. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is so critical to remember because there are so many things in this world constantly vying for our attention and trying to be the priority uh, when in reality our relationship with God is, is our number one priority. Yeah, absolutely. Faith in what is to come. We have great hope as Christians, and uh, that's where we should be placing our faith. So great stuff. Good spot to leave it. As always, make sure you're getting on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. And I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise, we shall return Monday. We'll see you then.